Hey everybody, this is Chance Fisher, and this room sounds great. I thought my name was Jesus Christ for for a long time because every time they see me, Jesus Christ, this guy's like coming coming up again. So I don't need you to tell me that it's inclusive. Just include me. Oh my God, you beat the odds, and it's just like, no, don't praise me. Change the odds. out there in podcast land. Thank you for tuning into This Room Sounds Great. I'm Reese Williams. I'm recording from In Your Ears Studios. And I know while you are busy fluffing your pillows and taking out your recycling, you put on your little earbuds and you thought, I'm going to listen to This Room Sounds Great. And we couldn't be more grateful. So thank you so much. This episode, we get the pleasure of speaking with Chance Fisher. He's got a couple, he has a couple other pseudonyms too, I think. Some some aliases, we'll say. Hello. Hello. You, yeah, usually people, I thought my name was Jesus Christ for for a long time because every time they see me, Jesus Christ, this guy's like come, coming up again. So um, maybe that's not the pseudonym that, that I want, but yep. Uh, Chance Fisher, Mr. Chance Fisher, um, if you disrespect me and yeah, everything else is it's just how she see me out. Chance is perfectly fine. <laughs> R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <laughs> uh, I will allow you to introduce your music style, how long you've been doing it, how you got started, and then I'll ask a few more poignant questions. Yeah, so um, so I guess I do traditional rap. I like to, I'm somewhere like I'm rooted in the classics and I like to, to see where we can like bend the genre and, and go forward. Um, being able to incorporate things like really great dirty drums, but being able to like take transformative things like the 808 and um, being able to like use very melodic synths if we're, if we're going to do that. Um, I love that. I like to say that my style of rap is a little bit more philosophical, but it's like it it can be heady, but it's not written in a way that isn't geared toward the audience. So I like to take very complex um, observations in my life from my perspective and just um, deliver it to people um, in a way that's kind of like tongue in cheek. So maybe the closest thing, uh, one of my greatest inspirations as a writer is Oscar Wilde. So um, somewhere in like the satirical like genre of that and like traditional, traditional rap. So that's, that's kind of what I do. I had to write a report on Oscar Wilde in high school and I remember reading you know, and this was back in the 80s and 90s when um, we still weren't saying gay very openly or, you know, that sort of thing. And I remember in my report, I used the adjective flamboyant. And my teacher just said, that was a really great euphemism. That was a really great no, way to very, say that. Very much. And I mean, gay and flamboyant. And, and, that, and that's like super great. Like, I love, I love just how open and free, like he is, his writing is, um, how how like it's like comical in a way but not not all of it is like some of it's like very serious like if you read dorian gray like there's nothing really funny about that um but it is great how he can like kind of single the odd man out in a room and you can see like where even a person that like fits in maybe kind of with society um how he's able to show how they're like ostracized even if that's like within their own mind i, I think that's such a beautiful a beautiful thing um my favorite like when i think about like great lyricists i really think about folks who aren't trying to like use all the crazy words and tell you everything that they know and like talk to you like they're smarter than you i, I like really like folks who are so gifted at language 
that the the weight of what they're saying um lingers with you but they're able to make it feel light you know clear and just clear yep. most of the time the the musicians that we've had on when i'm really really touched by their songwriting is you're exactly right they didn't pick the craziest word to rhyme with it fit it was clear it was appropriate it was clever it was definitely clever it wasn't it it, it wasn't like oh i bet i know what word they're gonna choose so it was clever enough but it didn't have to have eight syllables and pulled, right. out, pulled out of a thesaurus <laughs> like one of one of the things i think about and one is I don't perform this song often, but there's a lyric that I wrote and I think about it often because it kind of um, resonates with me. But I said, uh, checks stayed the same, but our bills got to raise. Right. And it's just like we eat. No, you know, it's like we, we're still moving. And the idea of like everybody kind of knows what that feels like. And it didn't need to be crazy metaphor or simile or anything like that. It just needed to be an observation of what it was and using as few words as possible to be potent, you know? So who did you grow up listening to for inspiration? I mean, I can't imagine, uh, well, let me, let me say this. Most rap we hear mainstream isn't as thoughtful and clever and creative. Um, that's mainstream. So who were you listening to coming up? Yeah. Um, I know those artists are there. You have you just kind of have to dig for them. <laughs> I, I think I think it's funny because like I guess maybe the people who most folks would be like aren't like thoughtful and creative. I I always think that so like I think a lot of people get like a bad rap because of like the auto tune or pieces of that, and it's just like like the same subject subject matter over and over again. But like there are like people like Young Dro who might be talking about cars, but you know he's just like now and later green or whatever and i and i like loved how he was able to use imagery and it reminded me of like all the like the old maybe like country uncles in my family how they'll be like it's a whole heap of this or like you know like using like these weird idioms that people are like what does that mean but you also like know exactly what it means 100%. um so i think that's cool i grew up listening to like honestly a lot of like flashy southern rap i listen to a lot of like Cash Money, um, No Limit, like early Lil Wayne. Um, it wasn't like really until later that I started listening to like Jay Z um, and Biggie because that just wasn't like what it was down here. And it felt like it felt so far from my perspective, especially like in my youth. Like as I as I grew older and I started to focus more on like building business and and even when I was just like thinking about hustling when I was younger I wasn't thinking about it for like where's my longevity it's just more like all right cool let's let's like do this thing so I listened to like a lot of what everybody else listened to juvenile mystical the first rap album that I bought was um mystical let's get ready um but outside of that like my household I guess I wasn't really listening to a lot of rap because uh, my parents were like very heavy in the church. Well, yeah, and I was gonna say maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe maybe I am one of those people who, you know, there's this whole misconception about um, what is being said and how it and how it's being said. There's you know sometimes there's a, a, a huge difference. Some people may just hear the sound of rap and instantly put the kibosh on it regardless of what the subject matter is. Some people hear the twang of country and they just think, oof, I am shutting it down. You know, I don't want to hear what they have to say. So, you know, maybe 
maybe the people you listed that you were listening to, maybe they are clever and maybe they are creative. And um, they just, media-wise and, and things like that, they just, unfortunately, I hadn't heard rappers talked about being poets right. until very recently. Maybe that's and, what I'm getting at. And, and I think it has a lot to do with, like, who are you as a person How are, like, and who are you as an artist, right? Like, I feel like a lot of folks who, like, if I'm listening to somebody who's just like, I'm hustling, I'm trapping, and it's just like, I know they are because they like pay, they use all that drug money to like get themselves on. They like pay for themselves. And it's just like, there's something I might not be looking for. I'm maybe, I'm not maybe looking at like something introspective from that, but I can still get motivation from that. And I can still like listen to somebody who said like, we didn't have anything and this is what we did. Um, So I think it has to, has to do with like who you want to be on the, on the other side of it though. Um, I always like argue that I always argue like James Brown, right? Mm-hmm. Like what was so revolutionary about James Brown was like, and he did it twice. Um, like being able to like put things on the one count and like it made you move. And it was like, people were like, this is music. Like it didn't make sense. And he was just like, play it the way I say it. And like James Brown wasn't necessarily saying like a whole lot of work. James Brown was really like ad libbing through like a lot of songs. Right. And then the second time when like he made bass the lead and not drums and he bought Bootsy back in um and then that became like some like new thing and maybe I, th- I think we get so caught up sometimes in like these cerebral pieces of this where it's just like how does it make you feel you know like when i listen i respect a lot of country because it it doesn't have to be like it's it's weight and how impactful it is is in its simplicity right isn't like this song is about my dog and this song is about my girl and like this is like about my heartbreak. But and that's what everybody can off. relate to. Yeah, you know. And then the but then the other side of it, like if I hear rappers who like came from similar circumstances of like being like poor and like the world against them, and I see them have like jewels and cars and, and things like that, like there's something to be said for that, right? Like there's a piece of this where I have to be like, man, like this is motivational, and it's like I, I think that. I think that the context and the lens is so judgmental without like taking a moment to like look at the circumstances and the why, right? You know, and and sometimes like people get like real like defensive about this, but I'm not. Like I'm re- I'm really just like no, I think it just has a lot to do with look at this and then look at like how impactful like a lot of hip hop has been and it was like shunned the same way jazz was shunned and now you can listen to it and the vmfa punk was shunned like all these things when it was like new and revolutionary it's growing now and it has like different sub genres and you can find anything like if you want to find something that's like super introspective there's a piece of that but the mainstream piece of this is like it's always going to be like the things that make people feel good like the same way kesha makes people feel good or dua lipa like makes people feel good and it might not again it might not be the most introspective song but that doesn't stop like there has to be something to be said about multiple people want to listen to the same thing you know and if we're like sitting over here and kind of like this auteur piece of it where it's like you don't understand like it's just kind of like maybe that's not what that artist wanted to be for me i i like writing i respect writing on so many different levels and um words have been able to like literally change my life you know like even in writing my college essays being able to convince Mm -hmm. people to like um take me on or like invest in something that I had like words have been like one of my biggest strengths so I'd be doing myself a disservice to 
not have that. But the other piece of it is sometimes I just want to write a song about having fun or like looking at the leaves change. And, and I, I think that everybody's like, I want this to be real and authentic. And it's just like, look, you are like, what you want is somebody to like take the accountability that you don't want to take for yourself. Right. What you want is somebody to like fill the void because you feel like there's nobody that speaks for you or whatever. But that doesn't mean in so many words that like, that's the right thing. It's just a different perspective. There's a time and a place. Look how many artists themselves change genres throughout or, or stay within the genre, but change their personality. I mean, people poo pooed Madonna for, changing her look and her style and it's just a part of growing up is trying to express yourself exactly like and people say that you're like some people say that you're selling out but like really growing up is this unlearning of everything that we did to like keep us safe right like if you think about your parents they tell you things not to do or things to avoid because your parents role is to keep you alive as long as possible right so the less things that like are like variables and like making sure that, you know, like you're not extinct before your time, like they're gonna do that. Like friends and everybody are gonna do that. Like, and that's why usually if you take a risk, people aren't likely to support it. And it's not because they don't support you, it's just they can't understand why you would put yourself in danger. Like that's like a very primal way to think about things, right? Like why would you put yourself in certain danger, right? Or even like the the idea of it. So like as you grow, it's like unlearning, unraveling, and like really finding out like who you are because you might have this set of like standards or like principles that you kind of learned and you shared and you adopted it. And then you get in a situation where you're like, I don't feel the same way about it. And then you move. And then you really sometimes need to, I want the person to fail. I want to know the person that like made the mistakes because at least I know you're human. Like if you never tried or did anything, I, I feel like what happens is that person encounters something and then they like go off the rails. So yeah, people, artists should change. And the more they get exposed to things and like the fluidity of music, I think like folks think that they're trying to go pop. And I'm like, I don't necessarily, there are instances of that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think that everybody wants to do that. And then that comes back to the question of are artists making art for themselves? or Are they making it, for to be the, the listener right like yeah <laughs> and it and it's just like sometimes that answer sometimes you are making music for yourself and it might not be understood or whatever but like as you grow and as you change like shit's gonna get oh i'm sorry like oh yeah th- yeah it, it's, it's gonna yeah it's gonna get <laughs> it's gonna get weird because it's gonna get messy because you're gonna get to a place where like you've never been and as you're growing there it's gonna be some pains because like you don't know and you're experimenting and the cool thing about experimenting is like mm, it it doesn't have to be good like even with like writing right like writing if you expect like some of my biggest writing writer's block came from like wanting to write the masterpiece mm-hmm. and like going over and going over but like writing when you're writing is to write and it should be to, to get practice. it out and then editing is editing and editing and you can't be in two modes and people want to write and edit their lives at the same time. And it's like, you can't like try something new and be good. You know, like maybe, I mean, maybe you get it right, but if you fail, right. But that's the thing. I don't even call it failing. You're literally trying something with, with a, with a, with a 
thought of outcome, you know, with, with a goal, I'm, I'm trying this because I want it to go this way. And if it doesn't, you've just learned that you've got to try something else to either reach that goal or you just change the goal. You just realize that goal isn't what you wanted anyway. It's the scientific method. Like you literally like develop a hypothesis to see if you can prove it. It doesn't mean that like you will, you know, you might find out that you don't, but in that conclusion, you have found other things, reasons as to why, right? And honestly, it's to change your perspective, you know, and see like what works and what doesn't. And like most of this is just like you get an element of a thing that you like and you find something that you do really well and the rest of it is just like trash. So trim the fat and then like rebuild it. I think, however, um, sometimes folks prematurely share their experiments Mm. um and yeah that might not have like great reception or they don't they don't give enough context or lead time to people right like if you're going to do something that like immediately alienates your fan base like there has to be something there should be some consideration there right like there's growth so like what are you doing how do you like bring them in like what are you doing in terms of like are we doing videos to talk about the the transition and growth like if you just come out of nowhere with a song that like people are like what is this and there's no foundation there and they're just like stuck you know they didn't agree to go on the experiment with you. Well, and you have to remember, too, as the artist is evolving, we as the listeners are evolving. Maybe your music just isn't meeting them where they are. There are plenty of artists that I like six out of eight of their albums. And it's just because where I was in my life that what they were talking about spoke to me. Or, it, you know, we're both, mo- we're all, we're both moving targets, you know? <laughs> so. I think that's absolutely right. Like, you grow out of, or you should. Um, grow out of some things and if you if you become dependent as a fan and and I'm speaking not as like the artist I'm speaking as a fan of like artists I'm like oh you let me down and it's just like how like how how can another person that you've never met right like let you down if they if anything if you've been following their career or whatever and you like saw somebody who was like, let's say you had somebody who was super depressed and then they got to a place where they were happy in their life. Maybe you don't relate to that, but like at least be like, all right, cool. That's great. Maybe you're still unhappy, you know, and then, you know, find something that relates to that. But like, I think we put so much into and then on the artist side, I think we put so much into like wanting to please so many folks, but just like and that's that's inherently dishonest right because if we're like seeking to like please all of these people and we can't find ourselves in the center of that then like what are you giving people like it's not even like a shell of yourself it's it's literally make believe and if your whole career has been that then great you know but so when you write are you writing as you're processing or is it in retrospect is it is it future some of those hypotheses <laughs> honestly it just kind of depends um i'm reflective a lot and then i write about i write about the future too but 
I have written, I have written as I process that. I don't think I've ever like shared that in song though. That's usually like poem or essay. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing it, um, I like songs to feel like they have some resolve or at least there's some deeper like observation there. Right. So, and so what subject matter? Like, so as the listener is listening. Yeah. So like think about it, like if I, let's say I got into an argument, right? Well, you know, I take that back cause I am writing a song about like what it is like being in the middle of that. But even that still has like a resolve to it. But like, maybe it's not i'm writing the argument as it's going down maybe it's i'm writing about the perspectives of both people who are in it um and the first verse is me the second verse is that you know or the first verse is the argument itself second verse is me third verse is the um the partner right and being able to like give that to folks for them to evaluate but i don't really like to do my own evaluations. I don't like to pass judgment. I just like to give people layers and I mean, you do what you, what you want with it. Right. Um, but that's also how I live my life. So there's that. So I, I do like write a lot in retrospect. Um, and then there's other pieces. There's a lot of my music that's like, normally I would say it's aspirational, but I've actually like gotten to a point in my life just through industries that that I've been into where it's like a lot of stuff that I'm rapping about, like, yeah, I'm drinking a lot of champagne because I really am drinking a lot of champagne. I am eating foie gras and duck and I'm probably not paying, like I'm probably going to see it and I'm seeing one of the homies and somebody's like sharing that with me. And, and I'm grateful for that. I think that that's super dope because one of the things in my life is I wanted to expose myself to as many things as possible um, even things that people told me that I couldn't attain so that I could never be in a room and somebody like felt like they had the upper hand or I couldn't like level the playing field there. So I do write about like those things, but I write about it kind of in a way it's like, yeah, I got all this, but it's just like, what, it, what is it really? You know? And, and, and this is honestly, this, this brings me to a point that I think about often. Um, a lot of people, like when I tell them my story or like how I came through, they're like, oh, that's remarkable. Like, oh, you're so great. Like, how did you achieve this or whatever? And I say that it's like, I hate the idea of like, you're this like magical Negro, right? And it's just like, every time you're here, they're like, people are like, oh my God, you beat the odds. And it's just like, no, don't praise me. Change the odds. Like we'd have, things would be less magical if we had different circumstances, right? So, so change that. Like I shouldn't be remarkable, right? more people should have exposure and I just like used exposure and I had somebody who cared, but everybody doesn't have the same circumstances. Right. So when I write these aspirational things, it was really like, this is me overcoming, overcoming like things that I felt were like these gaps or these separations or like people would say you're cultured or you're not. So when I talk to my friends, I write these things in music. I want people to have this exposure or have heard this thing. And then be able to say, like, I want you to know enough for you to evaluate if it's good or not for you. Like, if somebody else tells you something is good or this is high class, it's just like, do you like it or do you not? Does it make you feel good or does it not? Right. And that's the same thing that we're talking about with music and how it resonates. Like, maybe you don't like top 40 things, but does it make this person feel good? Does it make them dance? 
great. Maybe that's not what I want. Like, and if this is the Krug champagne of music over here, that's cool. But people still drink Moet and people still drink Andre. And you know why? Because it's it's a means to being able to have a shareable moment with their friends or like people that they love. Like this is just a medium for like other life experiences. And when we start making all the stuff like too serious, we I think we lose. Well, I think the we lose bubbles touch. will take some of that seriousness away. Yeah. I yeah. like the bubbles. What is the Richmond rap scene like? Oh man, um, it's beautiful. It's it's extremely collaborative. Um, and I think it's moved, it's grown a lot. I think it's not as divisive as it once was. There's still like different layers of it. You know, there's like folks who might be like in the future, like talented creator kind of style. There's like a lot of like lo-fi, like, you know, you look at artists like Obliv, the man, the legend, Devon, Fly Anakin, who's coming out of here. Fly Anakin's like dropping a... He's about to go like on a tour. He just came back from like a European tour and he's just like going all over, like super, super dope. You know, and then you got folks like uh, Nicholas F, Radio B, Michael Millions, who are super dope. And you got folks like my man, Sap Evans, um, who's just kind of like extremely experimental. And uh, Creature Alfred, who's also like extremely experimental and have like these different shows. I'm probably like one of the better people to ask this question because I'm excited. I just, I pay attention to a lot of folks and I think we're at a point where like, um, there's so many different types of folks here now where it's like, there's still like great trap music. I mean, you look at Trap Taz Kai, you look at Rio, um, you look at King Delt, who's crazy. And those are like straight, like trap, like we are from like, like legit hoods in Richmond. And I think that that's dope. And not everybody wants to, like, get behind that and support that. And I'm just like, all right, like, we don't need to be, like, prejudiced in this way. Like, what they doing is dope. And, you know, like, listen to them. And then you got, like, your, you know, your classic, like, boom bap hip hop or whatever. Um, I just think that there's so much diversity in the scene right now. What I've seen with Richmond Hip Hop as it's gone forth over the years is that it everybody feels trapped. Right, because they feel like there's no outlet here. Mm. And then when we talk, like, and, and when you say no outlet, do you mean places to perform or longevity in career? Look, or? if we get into places, that's a whole different conversation. But definitely yes, and I got some very strong feelings about that. Share them. Um, but yeah, definitely places to perform and access and support, because it feels like people don't really like rock with you until you got like some big name, you're on MTV or whatnot. It it kind of feels like you're just doing this thing. Um, but always it's weird to me because I talk a lot about how booming the Richmond rap scene is. And I'm always surprised at like how much people don't know about it or like how many names that they aren't exposed to. And I'm just like, why is this so held back? But then I think about like we talk about access to venues and who gets it. And now you got folks who are like, well, we can make more money hosting a rehearsal dinner here. So we're not going to do your event. Or there's just this like people use terms like. We want to make this like approachable, family friendly or whatnot. And it's just like. So is that is do people still have the misconception misconception that rap has to be uh, filthy or profane or like. Look, I talked to somebody like a month ago about this. Like I talked to like somebody with money who has a venue and they like came to me about it. And like just kind of in this way of. 
people talk to me because I'm like approachable in this way. Like I seem, I don't seem like I'm going to be like harmful. Right. And then folks will say stuff like, oh, you're reasonable, man. You're articulate. And then I'm just like, uh, what does that mean? Like, think about like what that means. Like, I know what, what you're saying, but then I'm also like, I'm really not the one, like, I'm really the last person that you want to talk about this kind of stuff with because I feel strongly about it. I've always like told other artists in the city, we don't need to fight each other. We need to like go to these venues and like show people and like at least eliminate all the things. So they say like, oh, you don't bring a crowd that drinks. So like partner with folks and bring a crowd that drinks. Then they're like, oh, you got people smoking outside. So like help mitigate that as much as possible. Oh, people don't show up on time. So like incentivize people to come earlier. Like there are ways to like solve this if you want to, but people still have this like, there's still this like undertone where it's like, it's dangerous or it's threatening or it's going to cause them to lose business in some way. But then they want to play Wu-Tang in the establishment. And I just can't oh like, my God. I can't like figure it out. And and like the way I speak about Wu-Tang, no disrespect. I love Wu-Tang, but like Wu-Tang is like now the like everybody can like respect it and they accept it. It's kind of like people treat it as a caricature of itself. And it's in the same way that like people accept jazz as background music now and not like this like strong, powerful thing that, that, that it was. So yeah, there's a lot of things there, but the scene is vibrant. We just need more places to get out. I want more um, studios to like rock with us and like, you know, like lend a hand. There, There was this big talk about some, some other like places, like a lot of studios didn't know how to like market rap or like mix it. So they're, it was just like, I don't want to touch it. Um, just like, exp- exp- like the same thing that we're talking about, like as artists grow, um, I think venues, places, or like people that are in the industry to just like take a moment to at least like try on their end and, not, and don't give me something contrived and don't say like, we're doing this like inclusive thing. Just like, just do it because I don't need you to tell me that it's inclusive. Just include me. Like we wouldn't have to, we don't have to make a thing about it if we just like treat it like this is all the same thing. And that's what I'm saying. The undertone here, like when you really look at it is like, it wouldn't have to be inclusive if you thought about it on the same level as everything else. And because you don't, you know, like for a long time, it was hard for me. Like people would be like, I say, I do music and folks would be like, what do you play? And then I would always say that it would, I usually wouldn't tell people that I rapped first. I would actually like tell them like the instruments I played. Cause I felt kind of like, uh, this yeah. is a thing. Oh yeah. And then I got to like, I rap and then I would follow up with the instruments I played. And then I finally just got to like, yeah, rap, you know? And some, some folks would be like, Oh, it's, it's mad weird. But like getting to the point where like you feel comfortable in your own city and you feel like there's access to do what you want to do. I want to see rap on major festivals. Right. And did you grow up here? Yeah, yeah, I'm from, okay. yeah, I'm okay. from the city. I like okay. grew up in the city. I grew up in okay. um, Randolph area, and then I grew up in Carver, like b- between the two. Um, so really from the city, but yeah, really, really, really from the city of Richmond. Um, what is going to define success for you? For me as an artist, or like mm-hmm. for this combo? For you? Um, yeah, I just I just want to be able to like freely make music with my friends and not have to worry about really where the money is going to come from to fund it like that's really it like if i can just like have the i work hard at the craft right without anybody telling me that i need to but 
everything, it's really hard when you got to like figure out the rest of it, right? Like, all right, we got this great song. How do I get it mixed? All right, I got to pay for the mix. Now I got to get it mastered. All right, pay for the master. And then you got to evaluate like, is all this money I'm spending on one record worth it? And then I got to do another record and then go on there or... And save gas money so that you can gig and, you know, buy new equipment when you need to. And it's it's so much like, you know, and then it's like, is it me and my DJ or is it like me and a band? And then you have to think about that, like financially, too, because then it's like, what's the ask for for it too? like, what is what is my rate? And then how does that get broken down? It's it's tricky. So for me, it's just like being able to like freely do it, travel, meet new people and uh, grow as an artist like i mean music literally was something that i went to i ran away from it for like a long time and i was like super depressed like my junior year in college and i just like started writing again and i felt like you know i couldn't you know like i'm leaving i like i left richmond i went to an ivy league school like you you know it's like and then i like tell people i'm rapping you know it's it's just like a whole different thing people would be like what are you doing because it doesn't make sense to them but like i don't make music because I want accolades from it or that I need like reassurance. Like I tell people all the time, like I'm modest about a lot of things, but like rapping is not one of them. Like you were born to do it really, really. And I, and I love it and I study it and I like listening to people and I love like every style of it and meeting folks through it and then getting to know human beings. Like I meet them through their music and then I get to know them. Like that's beautiful. So success for me is like being able to do that and then being able to help like other artists, like to be in a position where I can like, at least guide them in some way, you know, but maybe fund them and not just, and I don't mean just like, like rappers, I mean, rappers, singers, um, videographers, like whoever, like even if you're like a young kid doing design, like at the root of it, I just, I really like helping people and, um, and like showing off like the city. When you ask me about the scene, I, I'm really excited about the folks in the scene. Like my man, three way slim just dropped a, just dropped a project and uh, it's called golden child and he like i've known slim since i was what like 15 and i like watched him like mm. rap and move up go to college and then like still like come out here like despite all circumstances just like be committed to it and like inspire me in a way you know so seeing my friends just like do it and they do, they're not doing it because they want this like clout or respect it's just like we got to get these stories out you can weed those people out you you can suss them out quickly when you there are so many people who want to either be a rock star you know they want to be famous that's their i want to be famous okay Mm -hmm. well you clearly don't want to put the work in you clearly or they hear stories about oh this person this band was out and they were discovered well they may have been discovered what sounds like the serendipitous moment but you know they worked their asses off before they got to whatever that gig was where they ran into a producer and then things went up like you can't sit on your couch and play guitar hero and then oh my gosh your name is in lights and people want your autograph that's not how it works and the work is different like i've always wanted to play sydney opera house like that's a a big thing for me um but in terms of like people are like and somebody says that they want to be a rock star like i love the idea like i like the idea of like sitting down and writing it's just like i want to be here like somebody asked me i said i want to play sydney opera house like that's like one of my like final things that I, that I want to do. Is it because of the acoustics? Because of the aesthetics? Because yeah, and I want to like have like a full like basically like symphony orchestra behind me because mm. I love it. Um, but no, like if somebody like feels like they want 
they want somebody to make them into a rock star. Mm. You're not a rock star. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something about, like, you know, when I step on stage, is I'm, like, a huge introvert. You know, like, I get, like... I was going to ask if you get nervous before you perform. I mean, we saw you... So, last week, you were at Common House. We yep, had a yep. big celebration for uh, Carter Magazine, and we kicked off Black History Month, and your performance was outstanding. You Thank captivated you. hundreds of people that were there. It was amazing. Just amazing. And so, I was dying to ask you if you get nervous at all. Yeah, I get... I get nervous about letting people down. Like I, mm. I don't want to like have anything like, especially if I'm doing like big shows, I'm really strict. Like I'll change my entire diet for like seven days out. Like if I know I got a big show coming, like I'll make sure that I'm not eating anything like crazy grease. I don't have butter or anything. I always eat with olive oil. Like I'll run or walk while I'm like performing a whole set just to see if there's anywhere that like I need to like move around um i don't like people will be like do you want like tea with lemon and honey day of and i'm like i can't have acid because it's gonna like mess up my vocal cords but like i'll move there so i'm like really i'm like really like kind of nerdy about that piece of it but yeah i just get nervous about like i said like i'm an introvert so like when i have conversations with people i want to make sure that they're like meaningful so like if i'm doing a performance and it's like for a room full of people i just want to make sure that they walk away with with something and that like they didn't like waste their time uh, so that's what I get nervous about. And I get nervous about, like, if we don't do sound check, like, what's going to happen, like, what with that. But outside of that, not so, not so much, not so much more. Uh, the things that I used to get nervous about are, like, things that I, like, just worked on through practice. Um, I'm more, like, impatient, <laughs> right? Like, what messes with me is, like, if I got, like, a long day and I'm, like, doing stuff. So like when I say like I want to be free to like do my own work, like I want to be able to like have a day where I do sound check and just chill and then come and do a show. But like I get like really impatient and like I want to just like perform and that's like a thing. But not nervous. Do you have any pre show rituals? Pre show rituals. Yeah. Um I I do like trills. So mm-hmm. like the that that little like thing. Um and then I hum to myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but outside of, outside of that i always like try to like make sure i do something that like takes my mind off of it so i like listen to i'll listen to a song that i really like or something like that but normally i'm just really trying to find a space that i don't have to talk to anybody i just kind of like want to be in a corner and chill and usually if i can do something that like warms me up like i like to work up like a small sweat before i go on stage because it like it relaxes me like some people, I guess, like like to do a drink, but I don't like to drink before I get on stage. Oh, it's probably the endorphins. You get a little yeah. all, the, all the good things that are flowing. I just heard a podcast with David Byrne who said that they asked him if he still gets nervous before he performs. And he said, it's not necessarily nervous. He said, I just, he doesn't like idle time. So his one of his rituals is making a cup of tea. And then that way he's focusing on boiling the water and steeping the tea bag. And then it's not necessarily that he's nervous and he doesn't want to think about what he's about to do. He would just rather preoccupy his mind. Yeah. So that he can stay in the creative flow when he gets out there. He hasn't he hasn't gotten himself all spun up. Beforehand. And then if you do that, like the one way to like, like if I haven't performed a song in a long time, like if I am like freaking out before the show and I just want to get up there, like anxiety, that's the one way to like mess up. Like if you let anxiety like get in your head and you think too much about it, like performances should just be like, this kind of oozes out of you at this point. Like you're not thinking about it you're just kind of like in the room and we're like making this moment but if you have to think too much about it it just like get out of your head yeah so i don't want that time to just like 
do that. What does 2022 look like for you? How many shows do you have booked? What um, do you have? Have you recorded albums? I have. Um, I've actually like recorded three that are that are out to the public, and okay. then I hadn't for a while. I was just like releasing singles. Mm-hmm. I lost a hard drive of an album, like all of like the stem, so we couldn't get it mixed and like put up. So that sucked. But I'm looking at dropping three projects this year. One might end up dropping at the beginning of next year. Um, the first one we're looking at dropping in June. It's called That Will Be Done. I'm, like, so excited about it. It's me and my man, Don Kevo from 757. We've been working together for a while. Full album? Uh, it's probably going to be, like, seven tracks. Um, I don't really know what people people call albums and EPs. Yeah. the same thing these <laughs> days. Um, as long, I, I think it just has to be over, like, 30 minutes or something like that. Um, but, yeah, 2022, I'm just kind of, like, rebooking. But, like, booking consciously i'm like opening like helping open a business right now so that's a thing too so i want to like have a little bit of focus there but part of that is to be able to have a venue where people can perform like where it's not like this weird discrimination um but 2022 for me is really getting music back out getting projects in front of people and then i'm working from there just being in a lot of rooms with folks and then the shows and all those things will will come we can book those but i want to get the music to people first and yeah that's it so when you're not working what do you do for fun how do you blow off steam how do you fill your creative well are you goofy do you have guilty yeah, pleasures I'm, go- I'm goofy as hell um i'm like a prankster so i like messing around oh what's folks. the best prank you've ever pulled uh, i don't know like i just like catching people <laughs> off guard or whatever um i don't know like i trip people i like <laughs> act like i'm gonna drop a tray of glasses little stuff like that what about guilty pleasures there's something you watch that you're like i, I gotta be alone i wouldn't anybody to know <laughs> oh man um yo i i got on these like weird i was like i got on these like weird like youtube dives and i was just like watching like a ton of like QAnon things it's like weird like conspiracy theory things and part of it is just like it's funny because like you can see where like somebody like could make this make sense right like it it's not like illogical it's just like improbable you know so it's like it's like super funny and i just like get enthralled by that um i've been watching a lot of netflix i finally like watched the witcher after that and watching a lot of power um and then i don't know i've I've been i watch a lot of tiny desk just oh, to like those are great. find new find new things those are fantastic i just watched the uh dua lipa recently hers oh, was so good i gotta watch that I it's didn't, fantastic I didn't even know it was it's lovely <laughs> um and then i read a I read a lot about like this is gonna sound bad but like i read a lot about like old gangsters and like old like drug kingpins because i always think that it's interesting like how how they think and like what i mean some people like you you'll look at some folks in like the FBI or like see like DEA person who's chasing them. They'll be like, "I got a lot of respect for this person." Just like out of the, it always blows my mind that I you have to take take the legend and the myth out of everything. They were a person and they were able to influence so many people. And I think, could I be duped into doing bad things because someone is quote unquote so charismatic? Like it blows my mind. Whether it's a gangster or like somebody in the mob or um politicians you know or, or, Poli- or i'm glad you said politicians you know anybody who just you you hear stories of oh they were just so charismatic and i think could i really be fooled by someone like that i i, I guess i could i don't know i think part of what's um interesting about a lot of this is that like when you're reading about some folks 
like some folks weren't some folks believe so much in like the vision that they had it's not that they were trying to like manipulate people they were really just trying to be like this is the vision you're either with it's, it or you're they not were convic- they really had conviction for what they saw you're right you you're know, right so, so and I they just that. really wanted people to, f- t- to see their point and jump on board you're right and not to say that like folks like i'm not like excusing like bad things right but like we're all kind of like I look like when I think about politics. So like when I went to college, I like I ended up going for hospitality, but I was like big in the government. And um, had I gone to Brown, I probably would have been government and going in, into diplomacy. So I look at a lot of like comparative politics and like government studies or whatnot, and just kind of like the philosophies behind them. And it's always just like one. It's always just like a group of twenty people making a decision that like affects a whole country. Then the country gets a bad rap for it. But the other thing is just like look. We're all we have all had to make some kind of decision where it's like I don't know if it was right or if it was wrong, right? And it's just like where does like your morality come from? Kant talks a lot about this. Emmanuel Kant talks a lot about this in his philosophy and like the idea of like Kantian ethics and duty. And if you're like CIA, right? And you have national security like in your mind and you lie to your wife every day because you can't tell her where you are mm-hmm. because of the security like what is the basically what is the hierarchy of morality there right because it's like how many people do you affect and life isn't so gray like i don't look i don't deify people around me right because i can't like i can't expect people to be like morally pure right because because there's no people have different perspectives so i could never expect a president to only go with one thing because you're the president of all people right so like what when you start making decisions it's less is more about like what is the overall like how many people does it affect and what does this mean the right? lesser of the evils yeah the path of least suckiness i think a lot of people say exactly like i was talking to my homeboy last night and we we're just talking about like the streets and like people are always just like well you shouldn't have made that decision like you shouldn't have like you should have told on this person and i'm just like yeah but that saves them and their family right you know so it's like who is my okay, maybe something happened over here, but I'm not worried about them. Like, I'm not going to get my mom, my sister, or somebody shot because, I, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's just like what people, it's so easy to like sit back and say, this is right and this is wrong and you shouldn't do that. But like, no, not many people are really living their lives. like Nuance. This is what I've learned. We have lost nuance between cancel culture and vilifying and all these things. How about a little nuance? Because it's easier... <laughs> to get rid of nuance because it dehumanizes people, right? And if you can dehumanize somebody and vilify them, right? Like make them like this mythical creature that's like 11 feet tall, then you don't feel like you're actually like doing something to a person. We just had this conversation at dinner a few nights ago that we were talking about neighbors and how neighbors shoot neighbors, you know, in their driveway. They hear something, they think it's, you know, they shoot. If we knew our neighbors better we would assume the best. You know, think about people you work with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. If they have a task and that task isn't performed, you don't automatically think they didn't do their job, they're they're slacking, they're whatever. You think, oh my goodness, they must have made a mistake or oh, they must have gotten busy. You assume the best because you know them. When we don't know each other well, it's human nature, we're not assuming the best. So you live in a community of people that you don't know well. So when you see dog poo on your yard or your trash is kicked over, instead of just thinking, oh, this thing happened, maybe someone had good intention, maybe it was just negligence, whatever it was, we automatically 
assume the best. And that's why internet trolling is so terrible because you just said it. Talk about removal. Talk about not if you don't even have to see the person, you can mm. hurt their feelings and be completely removed from I'm gonna it. bring it closer to home. It's just like the conversation that we had about the venues, right? And then it's like we'll be so focused on making sure that like nothing happens. Because if one thing happens, then folks just like say, Oh, we knew this was gonna happen and we take it we take it away <sighs> instead of like assuming the best or just assuming that that was like one thing that's out of it. You know, it's just like there's so much of this onus on us to be perfect for like to prove something I can't control like every you, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and it's just like somebody makes it so anybody can make a bad decision anywhere or just, right? or just an accident or just an accident but because they have this predispositioned attitude about it not nice well where can people go online for more information how can we follow you um yeah follow me all, all of my most of most of my real interaction is on my Instagram uh, it's Mr. Chance Fisher, but I'm Mr. Chance Fisher on everything. That's um, Fisher, like Bobby Fisher, so F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Um, my Twitter is just really kind of a place. I share music there, but I'm. it's more just me being like ignorant and funny and stupid. So that's just like a little bit more my outlet. But if you want to like follow like what's going on and see like all of the creative art and stuff, yeah, follow my Instagram, you know. But if you want to get to know more about my personality, then yeah, follow me on Twitter because I'm hilarious. <laughs> if you do say so yourself. Yeah. Well, we are bringing you back. Um, we're, we're actually going to be talking about a project in April. Uh, we've got a partnership with something going on with the Poe Museum. So we'll have details about that coming soon. But you're going to be a part of that. We are so excited. So now you've come into our fold <laughs> as well. Yes. And I am so glad you have taken the time to come down and chat with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to us for the podcast on all the usual suspects. And of course, be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. YouTube, Facebook, Twitch for Shaco Sessions Live. That's a wrap.